Hey, Graham. Hey, David. Got a joke for you. I believe you. Go ahead. Okay. Why don't pirates shower before they walk the plank? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they'll just wash up on shore later. <laughs> oh, Graham, I am full of pirate jokes this week, and that's just oh. one. That's just a sampling. Oh, that is a, a like a legitimate great joke. <laughs> <laughs> that gets an eight. It's too good for this podcast. It gets an eight. Oh, eight. I feel like that's probably the best score you've given me for a joke that wasn't written by one of my children. <laughs> Very possible. Got, I can't remember this. You, you got one? Well, uh, David, yesterday, uh, the doctor told me I was colorblind. Oh. Yeah. The diagnosis came right out of the purple. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's pretty good too. Uh, Instead of out of the blue, somewhere there's a dad driving down the road laughing hysterically. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Um, I don't know if it's as good as my pirate joke, and just in the spirit of being a pirate, why don't I say seven point five? Wow, I'll take that. Also, outside my window, there is a very large coyote standing on the edge of the woods. Is he playing a fiddle? You know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. I got to go watch this coyote for a minute. Welcome back to Withy Window, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and grown-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And my name's Graham Pittman. And the coyote just ran away. But he stood there for a very long time. Graham, maybe we've... he was contemplating, you know, his his whole existence, the chickens he just ate, his place <laughs> in the world. Well, I mean, that's what coyotes do, right? I, I, when you see yeah. a coyote on the edge of the woods, that's what you should assume that they're doing. Well, Graham, we have a great show this week. Our guest is Catherine Arden. We've got lazy words. We've got riddle time. We've got snack time. And we're going to talk about the Phantom Soul booth. But first, we should probably apologize because... This podcast, this episode of this podcast is a day or two late. And we just want to apologize for that. We ran into some trouble. Graham, would you like to explain to the kids the trouble that we have run into the last few days? Well, yeah. I mean, yes. Like David said, we're, we're sorry for the um, tardiness of this podcast. Yeah. But it was unavoidable. Uh, we went down this week to record uh, into the basement and the microphones were just missing. They were gone. Just gone. It's like they had vanished into thin air. But we saw on the ground a slimy trail of footprints uh, leading into our resident bookstore trolls lair. We could hear kind of muffled uh, troll sounds and some troll laughter. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was strange. Um, yeah. But we've come to find out the troll is trying to start his own podcast. It's, um, it's true. It, it was, which, a, I mean, it's a uh, way to go. He's being ambitious. He's trying to find a hobby. Maybe he's imitating us a little bit, but he did take our equipment and, and you can't just burst in on a troll doing a podcast. You can't. Right. It, it, bad things happen when you do that. So we had to give him his space. We slipped a note under the door that said, we appreciate your endeavors. It sounds like mm -hmm. it's a good time. Let us know where we can listen to this podcast, but also please return our equipment ASAP. 
So yeah, yeah. about 24 hours later, we came back downstairs. There was a note that said, thanks for letting me borrow the, the, the microphones. Here they are. Sorry for the slime. Yeah, so then we spent about six hours cleaning the microphones off so we could use them. Yeah, and then we couldn't use them. We ended up having to give them back to the troll <laughs> as a gift because right. they were so slimy and we bought new microphones. <laughs> right. All of this is absolutely 100% true. None of this is made up at all. Uh, but, you know, the things about trolls is once you become friends with a troll, it's a bit of a give and take. It's a bit of a give and take relationship. And we're glad that he has a chance to do a podcast for his troll friends. I'm sure you can listen to that on troll podcasts apps like um like apple podcasts for trolls spotify for trolls did you know that there's a troll version of all these apps by the way i did not there is it's a little little known secret but really i mean you if you don't have a troll phone then you're not gonna be able you can't to do it but yeah you're right i see i see but all the but troll trolls will now be able to listen to uh to his podcast not sure yet that he's decided a name but once he does decide a name we'll let you know but but you know we're, we got to get to our podcast because we don't want to leave the kids hanging any anymore. But before we before we get to our guest and, our, and book talk and snack time, got to remind you about our friend SD Smith. If you're an aspiring writer, then why not try the Green Writer course? It's an audacious invitation to writers who aspire to create and share excellent stories. You know, I bet the troll would probably do well by trying out the Greenwriter course himself. It provides motivation, inspiration, and instruction and invites writers to launch into their writing adventure with confidence and competence. The aim of this course is to become a Greenwriter, a writer who is going and growing. You can try three free lessons and get the Greenwriter at greenwriter.sdsmith.com. So to get $10 off this code, as well as those free lessons, you can use a code Withywindle, that's W-I-T-H-Y-W-I-N-D-L-E at greenwriter.sdsmith.com. So once again, that is three free lessons and $10 off when you go to greenwriter.sdsmith.com and you use the code Withywindle. So one more time, greenwriter.sdsmith.com, code Withywindle for $10 off and three free lessons. If you want to be a writer, if you want to be a writer who's going and growing, please be sure to check that out. And... Uh, See what uh, what the green writer can do for you in in your uh, writing adventure. So I know, like, uh, this is the time of year when lots of uh, kids are kind of wrapping up their school. Um, they're kind of they're getting out. They're getting out. They're, it's less structured. I could see the summer being like a great time to maybe get together with a couple friends. That's a great maybe idea. Start like a writing group, and you guys are doing so like smart green writer together through the summer. I, I, mm. I mean, it sounds good to me. I would like to do that. Um, so if any kids are putting a writing group together, you know, get in contact with me too, so I can be a part of your fun little group that doesn't <laughs> leave me out of it. <laughs> That's right. Podcast at goldberrybooks.com. Uh, more on that later though. So yeah, uh, thanks to, to SD Smith and his brother, Josiah and the whole green writer team for sponsoring Withy Windle this season. And please, if you want to be a writer, please check that out. But Graham, that brings us to snack time. We don't have a special voice for snack time, do we? We have a voice for riddle time and no. all that. Snack time. Let's we just, just say snack we time. just say the word snack time and that that uh, crunching sound just comes right in. <laughs> we true. try you, it every time we say snack time to see if it that crunchy comes in. Snack time. Snack. Snack time. Snack time. Well, Graham, 
most of the time at snack time, we have candy and, and, and sweets and things like that. Sometimes that have been mailed into us by listeners. And we appreciate that so much. And you and I do love our sweets. Yes. But you know what I brought this week? Uh, I'm assuming not sweets. I brought a giant container of strawberries. Oh, those are fresh (laughs) strawberries. They are sweet. They are sweet, but they're not candy. I've also got some carrots, but these strawberries, let me look at this. Look at how sweet they look, how red they look, how shiny they look. So delicious. What did you bring? Those look locally sourced. (laughs) They are. It says here, got to be North Carolina agriculture on the side of the box. Hmm. And I see that mm. you're chopping up those strawberries and carrots and putting them together into sort of a fruit and vegetable salad, which <laughs> seems very strange to me, but you do you. Um, you know what? I, Don't be so critical. I also brought uh, some vegetables to the table here. <laughs> okay. So do, you have, do you know what America's favorite vegetable is? Uh, carrots? Nope. That, that's up there. Broccoli. No. As, as somebody who lived in Idaho for a bit, I thought you'd get this quicker. Potatoes. Potato. You brought America's... French fries, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Uh, so one of the applications for the potato uh-huh. is cutting them very thin oh, yep. and then yes, frying yes. them in some oil. Yeah, yeah. you brought potato and, chips. <laughs> and seasoning them. And so, yes, and, and these ones come in a tube. Yeah. <laughs> So Your I'm favorite eat- vegetable is a potato chip. <laughs> I, I am eat- not my favorite, just America's favorite. Oh, oh, I see. Um, and my favorite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I am eating Pringles. Um, uh, but they yes. are sour cream and onion, which in my mind is the best Pringle. If 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 listeners out there have have a problem um, with me saying that they're definitively the best Pringle. Uh, they can write us in and complain, but in my mind, they're, they are the best. Um, so sour cream and onion uh, Pringles, which I'm also chopping up, crunching up into a salad with uh, strawberries. Well, now I can't decide how quickly I need Pringles. <laughs> Pass me some Pringles, please. <laughs> Very quickly. Oh, man. Strawberries and Pringles. Sounds delicious. You know what? Let's take a break. Let's eat some strawberries and Pringles, and then let's come back for lazy words. All right, we are back with lazy words. Lazy words. That was exceptionally lazy. Um, All right. So the segment where we pick an object thing that we think has been named very lazily and we seek to correct it or source you all for new names for these things. So last week we mentioned basketball and football as particularly... I bet we got some good names for these. Those were particularly lazy names for such fun sports, especially. Uh, So Krista thinks football should be called wild game. That's so good. Uh, Torin thinks she should be, thinks football should be called a trip to the emergency room or at her. <laughs> so she, she's thinking this is a particular. At, at her ball. Game. Yeah. At her ball. 
uh, the Nygards think it should be called Pile O People. <laughs> or, and I particularly like this one, Bumble Jumble. <laughs> the Nygards are good at this. Lucy thinks it should be called Boring Ball, which makes oh. me think she might not be as big a fan of football as um, yeah, I, a lot I think of maybe are. that that maybe she's talking about soccer. Uh, Anna <laughs> Anna thinks it should be called Y Ball uh, because of the um, uh, the uprights. Where you the uprights the, are yeah. kind of shaped like a Y. Yeah. Ava thinks it should be called Space Ball. Uh, <laughs> William thinks it should be called Sonic Ball. Nice. And their mom thinks it should be called Smash Ball. Nice. Uh, Josiah and Emmett think football should be called Hustle Ball <laughs> or Team Down. <laughs> and they think basketball should be called Flying Oranges or Citrus Hoops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are fun. Uh, do we have a, do we, you got one more? Isaac and Charlotte think it should be called Throw and Tumble. Okay. That's that's football. And then basketball should be called Dunk It. Dunk It. You know, Dunk It's a good one. Uh, Elizabeth thinks thinks it should be called Throw or Tackle or Tot. There's a lot of acronyms (laughs) coming on here. Yeah. 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 Liam thinks it should be called Hoop Dunker. And for football, they just said. Your uh, your suggestion last week, eleven Z's is probably the perfect one. <laughs> uh, Rhiannon thinks it should be called six tackle, and nice. basketball should be called hoop de loop, hoop de loop, hoop de loop. That's true. Yeah, yeah, hoop de loop's a good one. And Garrett thinks it should be called chase ball. <laughs> I mean, now we all got, of these we, way less yeah. lazy than football and basketball. We got so many answers uh, that I could not read them all. I tried to read a lot, so. Next time, if you didn't hear yours, hopefully um, we'll get to it. But that brings us to this week's Lazy Word. Yeah, what's, what is it this week? So, David, let, let's, imagine, um, let's imagine you have to go to a wedding. No, let's, or, or anything fancy. Okay, so gonna, all right. You're going to put on, you're probably not going to wear jeans. You're going to wear some uh, slacks. Uh, yeah. You might put on a sport jacket and a button-down shirt. Yep, and then, yep. And then around your neck. Uh-huh you might find a piece of apparel um, uh-huh, uh-huh. that is named after the action you do to it. <laughs> oh, are you referring to a tie? Is that what you're talking about? I'm, I'm talking gonna a, about... I'm going to wear a, a tie around my neck because I tie it around my neck. Exactly. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get it. That this is true. A, it's incredibly lazy. <laughs> it's incredibly lazy. We used to have ascots. Uh, yeah. Yep. We used to, what what are what are some other old Well even a bow tie is lazy. You're just tying it into a bow. <laughs> into a bow. Yeah. And and it's funny because tie is short for neck tie, which is not any not lazier. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> so uh the the tie oh. is just named after the action you do to it. It doesn't have its own cool name. Okay, let's imagine, for example, let's let's take, let's expand upon this 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 way of naming things into other things. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm eating a cracker. I'm gonna just call it an eater. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. If I were to call a shoe a foot guard, <laughs> well, actually, there is a shoe that yeah. follows this pattern. And that would be the slipper. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you just slip it on. Just slipping it on. Okay, Graham, 
if what do you what do you think? Do you have any ideas for other names for the necktie or the tie? I I do not. This one kind of hurt my brain a little, and so I'm fully reliant on the kids to come up with a better name than tie. What's the best way for kids to send in their 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 ideas for for more creative names for the necktie? Uh, you could send those into podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. And yeah, hopefully good one. we will read your answer on the next show. Necktie. Tie. So it's got to be something that's you're, you're dressing up. You want to make your regular shirt and your slacks look a little bit dressier. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want to look really dressy. I'd love to know where the word ascot came from. Because that's like such an unusual word. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. I can't wait to hear what the kids say. So again, it's a podcast at goldberrybooks.com. If you want to, uh, to throw your hat into the ring of, uh, of, 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 of fixing the, the problem that is words as lazy as tie. All right, Graham. That's been another edition of Lazy Words. Up next, we have... Book time. Book time. It's time to discuss the Phantom Tollbooth. Graham, we were talking about three chapters this week. And if I'm not mistaken, it's chapters 12, 13, and 14. Is that right? That is correct. And uh, we will do three chapters the next week and three chapters the next week. And that will close us out of this wonderful book. All right. So three chapters this week, three chapters next week, three chapters the next week till the end of the season. Now, Graham, could you Mm -hmm. do a quick summary for kids who may have read this a few days ago, maybe even a few weeks ago, maybe they finished the whole book and they want to be reminded what happened in these exact chapters. Yeah, so I think these were the chapters where uh, Charlotte first starts uh, writing in her web and um, Graham, uh, Wilbur... Uh, Graham, yeah. uh-huh. Graham uh, wrong, wrong book. That was last, oh, that was last season. We're not, we're not doing Charlotte's web anymore. We're doing uh, Phantom, Phantom Tollbooth. I remember now. Okay, so chapters... Did you read Charlotte's Web for this week too? I always read Charlotte's Web. Oh, it's like a right, weekly thing. So, yeah. Chapter twelve is called the Silent Valley. This that, is that's, where, that's that's more on. That sounds right. That sounds right. This is where Charlotte. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, this is where Milo. Um, You're all confused. You're befuddled. <laughs> this is where Milo and talk and. Uh, Was there more than Milo and talk? This is where Milo, talk, and the humbug have left Doctor Discord. And they're on their way and they end up in the silent valley and they see a group of people kind of protesting, but there's no sounds. And even the sounds that come out of, or even when Milo tries to talk, he, there's no sound there. So they have to hold up signs to communicate. And so the, uh, the citizens of this valley tell him via writing down um, <laughs> that there is a sound keeper to the land and she has taken, she's the one that usually provides all the sounds to the land, but she is now uh, no longer doing that. She's keeping them all to herself. And they want Milo to go see if he can trick her into giving him a sound. And then with that sound, they will load a cannon and they will then shoot that sound at her fortress, releasing all the rest of the sounds. Interesting plan. I like this plan. <laughs> um, it sounds so like something you'd come up with. He gets he gets access, and she takes him on a tour of of where she keeps all the sounds. And well, when he arrives, she's listening to the radio, but she's listening to programs um, that you can't hear. 
because she really enjoys the silence. Uh, but he eventually does get a sound on the tip of his tongue. He starts to say a word, but keeps it in his mouth. Which, <laughs> and then he leaves without saying goodbye because that would release his sound. Um, and then he goes out and says his sound into the cannon and they then shoot that uh, <laughs> into the fortress, which does release all the sounds. And then it seems like the sound keeper does have a change of heart pretty quickly. Um, she says, it will take years to collect all those sounds again, she cried, and even longer to put them back into proper order. But it is my fault, for you can't improve sound by only having silence. The problem is to use each at the proper time. So her her main uh, objection and why she wanted to keep all the sounds was that people weren't appreciating them and then it was getting too noisy and she didn't like all the noise. Uh, and then in that chapter 13, they find themselves on a little island called Conclusions um, mm-hmm. because they had jumped to a conclusion which physically made them also jump to that island. Mm-hmm. Um and they couldn't get off easily. They had to kind of swim and swim to get off of there. And then finally, in chapter 14, they reach their destination that they've been looking for, Digitopolis. And they meet the dodecahedron, which is a strange character with 12 faces. Each one has a different expression. And they go into the mine where they mine for numbers. And these numbers come out like jewels, but they have different, uh, but they're different numbers. Uh, so they see that, and they finally meet the mathematician as well, mm. who's a character we've heard about a lot. Yeah, we've been waiting for that. And I'm sure there will be more that we need to discuss about these characters. Before we get into all that, though, I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. In chapter 12, it talks about how the soundkeeper takes away these noises. So I got to thinking, because she was talking about all of these beautiful sounds out in the world, and of course, some not-so-beautiful sounds as well. What is a sound in the world that if all sound was taken away, you would miss the most? What are some of your favorite sounds? Favorite sounds. Okay. Well, most of them would probably be natural. So we've got like the wind just kind of rustling through, through the trees. Yeah. Uh, Maybe a nice stream with the water Mm -hmm. going over the rocks. Yeah. Like a, like a, like a brook, the ripple of a brook, the ripple of a brook. (laughs) What about you? Oh, you know, I'd miss those. I would miss that sound when the basketball goes through the hoop and it's a swish. Mm. Or the crack of a baseball bat. Those would be the sports ones. I would miss the sound of birds. Um, I guess I'd miss the sound of my children. Uh, Yeah, most of the time. But also sometimes I would. (laughs) (laughs) When they're fighting. What about when you first open that Pringles can and it's got that little pop? Pop. Or that little yeah, fizz when you when you twist the the coke open, mm. or the or the sound when you're turning pages of a book. Oh, oh that's a so good one. Good sounds. What about the sound of a um, coyote silently contemplating? <laughs> that's actually what was in the book. Oh, coyote right, silently right, right. contemplating. What about the sound of a steak sizzling on a skillet? Oh, <laughs> mm, sounds are delicious. They are. Sounds are very delicious. If you learned anything from this podcast, remember that Graham said sounds are delicious. Okay, what about a sound that you could do without? (laughs) I mean, we talked about this before, Mm -hmm. right? Fingers on 
the 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 sound of fingers on a chalkboard that's a very famous one that people are bothered by yeah lately like the sound of a notification coming into my email <laughs> yeah a little ding not not a big fan of that sometimes i am but not today those uh, notifications might as well be a crazy voice saying to you graham you have another task to do <laughs> graham you have another task to do graham you have another task to do graham that last task that you did was wrong logan i need you to sample that and send it to me so I can make it my email notification sound. Or, or another way of doing that would be, Graham, 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 Graham. Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah, so I think any sound that's telling me I need to go do something, which as an adult, I have a lot of those, whether yeah. it's the little noise that comes on when you have low fuel in your car or a, a computer sound telling you you need to go do something or somebody needs you for something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we already did it. We already went over the uh, mom, mom thing. I won't do that again. I won't put you through that <laughs> yeah. again. Well, just an alarm clock in general. Not a big thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Grant, what are you looking forward to as we get further into this book? As we get towards the end, and we've now met these twelve faced, twelve faced characters, and we've met, we've gotten to what is it, Digitopolis, and all that. What are you, what are you looking forward to? What questions have been raised by those places for you? Well. I am very happy that we've made it to Digitopolis. We've gone through a lot of wordy places. And so now we're getting into the numbery places. So I'm I'm very yeah. excited to kind of explore what happens uh, or w- what adventure they're going to go on um, and what silliness and nonsense is going to happen um, with numbers. As far as questions... One question I have is... Will the story, will the plot change at all now that we're into the number realm instead of the word realm? Will the problems that they have to solve or the people that they run into have different kinds of issues than the ones that were during the word part of the book? Now we're in the second half of the book. And so is the plot going to be wrapped up? Like, how how does the plot get wrapped up? Does it get wrapped up by him solving a problem? Um, Does it have to do with an equation or something like that? Those are the kind of questions that I'm curious about now that we're into Numberland. 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 (laughs) North Numberland. (laughs) Number five, North Numberland Street. Uh, It's a little known province in in Canada. One thing I really liked in in these chapters was in the Silent Valley when when he goes to the sound keeper... And Milo learns that sounds get invented here. And he asks, how do you invent a sound? And she says, oh, that's very easy. First, you must decide exactly what the sound looks like. For each sound has its shape and size. And then you make some of them here in the shop and grind them, each one three times into invisible powder and throw it, a little of each into the air every time you need it. And Milo says, I've never seen a sound. Uh, And then... She hits a drum and cotton balls come out and they roll out. And then she says, now listen. And she takes some invisible powder and throws it and they go boom, boom, boom. Uh, And then he does it with clapping. Uh, And there's one other one. What was it? Oh, they talk about, about laughter, how it looks like thousands of tiny colored bubbles and music as well. I think this is just a really fun concept. Like we talked about things sounding deliciously. So like using a different sense to talk about a, a one sense. Uh, so these mm. are visible sounds when they're being created. I think that's really <laughs> fun. And some of them are, it's like these like 
just different sheets of paper. There's like yeah, rough flying out of his head. Yeah. Well, Graham, that brings us to the end of book time. Next week, we will read the next three chapters, which, if my math uh, is correct, is 15, 16, and 17. Could you double check that math for me? That is correct. And not of Charlotte's Web. Not of Charlotte's Web, of Norton Juster's The Phantom Toll with 15, 16, and 17. It is. In just a second, we are going to be back to introduce you to Catherine Arden. She's our guest this week. And then, of course, at the end of that, we will do our riddle for this week. So we're going to eat some, some Pringles and some strawberries. We'll be right back in just a minute. All right, we are back, and it's time to introduce you to this week's guest. Her name is Catherine Arden. And a uh, little, little known secret here that she does reveal to us later in the episode. Graham, Catherine Arden is a pen name. A it's pen not name? a real name, yeah. She's named after a pen? No, it's... No, I can't okay, hear you no, whispering. No, it means it. It was because it's a secret. It means oh, it's well, it's not the name that her parents gave her, but it's the name she chose for her writing. Oh, a pen name. A pen name. Yeah, mm-hmm. she is known primarily for a trilogy of fantasy novels called the Winter Night Trilogy, which are set in medieval Russia, and she's won a bunch of awards for those. Those are kind of like. YA books for kids that are a little bit older, but she also has a series of books for middle grade kids called Small Spaces. And these are scary books. They're horror novels. And she talks a little bit about those. Uh, She is from Texas, but she currently resides in Vermont and she's traveled all over the place. And we talked about some of the books that she loved, a little bit about her traveling, how she goes about trying to make scary stories. And, uh, we had a great time chatting with her. Graham, on a scale of zero to three, let's do that scale this time. How much did you enjoy this conversation? Threeth. Threeth. <laughs> I'll accept that because that is the accurate, the correct answer to this question. So without further ado, here's our conversation, our threeth rated conversation with Catherine Arden. See you on the other side. At which point we will tell you the answer to last week's riddle and give you a new riddle for this week. Enjoy. Catherine, thank you so much for joining with you, Wendell. We are so excited to chat with you. We've got lots of questions from the kids. Uh, but thank you for making the time uh, for us to, to have this conversation. David, thank you. I'm so excited to be here today um, with you guys and looking forward to it. So I'm going to ask you the first question that we ask every guest. And we just tell everybody, it's the most important question you're going to get on this podcast most stressful one. Do you prefer Cheetos or Doritos? Oh my gosh. That is a, that, that's a brutal question. What flavor of Dorito? You got to be well, specific when you ask these kind of questions. No, no. We're, we're very good at open-ended questions. Okay. okay also okay. a 10 year old asked this question. So. Oh, all right. All right. Okay. I'm going to go with neither. Because oh. Doritos are better. Fritos. Controversial take. Controversial take. The the corn chip. But my the only thing my grandma could cook when I was a kid was Frito pie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Fritos. And and that's just been like ingrained <laughs> into your being. Yep. Yeah. I grew up in Texas. It was her dish. I I ate a lot of it. It just it, it's somewhere inside me now. Well, so is it? Uh, you, have you had the chili cheese Frito, or are you just sticking with original classic? Original OG, original Frito. I'm I'm a person of simple tastes, especially so, when it comes to Fritos. So is my grandma, <laughs> actually. Always are always the original Frito. 
So already on uh, question one, Catherine is hijacking the question to make it her own. I, we have to deal with I'm the okay with this. Yes. Yeah, me I'm too. I'm okay with this. One of my favorite adult authors is Larry McMurtry. Ooh. And he wrote the book Lonesome Dove. Yes. And he is famous for, for three things. Writing Lonesome Dove, owning a bookstore, and loving to eat Fritos and Dr. Pepper, being a Texan. Ooh. So Dr. when I eat Fritos and Dr. Pepper, I think about one of my literary heroes. You often eat Fritos and Dr. Pepper? That sounds like a very committing meal. Now, I don't know. I feel like I'm not sure if I'm, am I being attacked or? <laughs> no, it just seems like a lot, like a bold, a bold meal choice. David, uh, are yeah. you saying Fritos and Dr. Pepper or yeah, like, Fritos in Dr. Pepper? Ooh. I mean, I, I'm really what, I mean, you're making this complicated. I'm thinking like I'm <laughs> sitting here, I'm working on writing something or I'm reading a book or whatever it is, or maybe I'm just working in my bookstore and <laughs> I've got a bag of of Fritos and I've got, I don't know, like a 12 pack of Dr. Pepper. Oh man. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you weren't like pulling out a bowl, pouring Dr. Pepper in it and pouring Fritos in it. Not Cereal that, there, not, not that there's anything Fritos? wrong with that, but I would there have something wrong with that. I would have a lot of follow-up questions. <laughs> All right. You know, speaking of follow-up questions, let's move on from me. Let's move on. We're, we're here to talk about, we're here to talk, find out things from Catherine. <laughs> Catherine, do you prefer cookies or cake? Um, cookies. Do you have a favorite cookie? Ooh, Snickerdoodles. Oh, man, these are a delicious cookie. You you are right on. You like you know what you like. That's the thing I'm discovering here. To be decisive, my <clears throat> grandma again made a campground raccoon cookie, which can she called it that. It contained oats and raisins and nuts and chocolate chips and just every conceivable thing, and it was the campground raccoon cookie. Also good. That's but I love the Snickerdoodle. Yeah. You, should we just do a whole episode on food or like I think should we, we stick to food? I like food. I mean, who doesn't like food? Um, raccoons love food. Campground raccoons. So, okay. Last question about food for now until it inevitably comes up again later. If you had to choose between sweet stuff and savory stuff, what are you choosing? Oh, probably savory. I love me a potato chip or a Frito. Um, are you snack or why you do you snack while you write? No, I really dislike eating while I write. It's distracting. Mm. Um, although I do like tea or water or something to drink while I'm writing. Um, who was it? I read that Lee Child, he says he can't eat during his workday at all because he feels less concentrated. So he only eats at night. That is that's, super weird. That, that sounds cool. crazy. That explains his <laughs> output, I suppose. <laughs> He's like, I only drink black coffee from like eight in the morning to like five in the afternoon. And then I eat. And then it's like, Man, wow, that wow, that's a lot of caffeine. I know. But you know, I, to each his own. You know what? I'm kind of kind of what? Okay, that was a, that was a lot of suspense. <laughs> All right, start at I'm kind of. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions about that. And I'm like I'd like to know, like at like 3 p.m. does he get shaky? Like because his body's like eating itself, and then he how does that work? I mean, apparently not. I mean, you have to get Lee Childs on your on your podcast to ask him follow up food questions. I feel like that should be your next uh, next approach. Not ve- not very kid friendly, however. But I mean, okay. um, can we get back to like the Fritos and Dr Pepper, maybe. No, no, we will not. No. <laughs> Catherine, we are going to ask you about your work. My um, work. Uh, usually, at the start after. Okay. 
after food time, we okay. shift into a little time where we want or we want to let our, our authors talk about their work a little bit, maybe just give kind of a really brief summary um, of the type of books they write. And I know, I think this is fair. You're best known for the Winter Night Trilogy and the Small Spaces Quartet. So maybe just kind of a couple little elevator pitches for those two. For sure. Well, so the Winter Night Trilogy is a a trilogy set in in Russia during the Middle Ages. And it, let's see, it was my first three books. Um, the series finished in 2019. And it is a mix between sort of the history of the region and then Slavic folklore and fairy tales. So um, it's actually for grownups, um, although plenty of kids have read it and enjoyed it. Um, and then my other series is definitely for kids. It's um, a horror series called The Small Spaces Quartet. And it is set in modern day Vermont, uh, which is the state where I live. And it follows um, the very scary adventures of three friends named Ollie, Coco, and Brian, who have increasingly terrifying adventures with an evil character called the Smiling Man. And the last book in that series is coming out this August 9th to 2020 this year. What year is it? (laughs) I forget sometimes. I think we're still in 2022. Oh no! I think we've had 2023 20, times, is what I think. Yeah, yeah it feels like it. it. Yeah, we're in the 2020s. That's yes. that's fine. Yeah, uh, and that book is called Empty Smiles. Called Empty Smiles it is the last book in the series, and I am very excited to put it out there. Because you're done, you're ready to be done with the series. I am ready. To be, I think. I think you're always ready to be done with the series. Like it feels good to finish a series. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. a good end, which I'm excited about. I think it's super scary and I love to frighten people. Fun fact. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm excited to move on to other, other, other series, other books. So. so you say you like to scare people, but do you like to be scared yourself? I mean, define scared. I'm someone jumping out and saying, boo, no way. I do like me a good horror movie though. Okay. So when did you know that you wanted to be a writer? When did I know I wanted to be a writer? It's funny because I didn't think about being a writer growing up. Um, someone once asked me if I like I'd known from childhood that I wanted to be a writer, and I was like, absolutely not. I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, very unoriginal. Um, and then when I went to college, when I went to school, I wanted to be an interpreter. I wanted to be someone um, who speaks different languages and helps people understand each other. But then after I finished college, I took some time. Um, I was working on a farm. I, I wanted to take some time between like school and work to like sort of find myself. So it's a cliche, but um, <laughs> um, I wanted to try something different. And so I, I started writing a novel and I, I really enjoyed it and got curious to see how my story would end. And then I finished my novel and found a publisher for it and wrote a second novel. And it sort of snowballed um, <laughs> until I became a novelist. <laughs> So, um, and here you are. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny because like I, I, I have a friend whose opinion is, is that you know if you, if your story isn't burning a hole inside you, you have to say your words, then you shouldn't be a writer. And I have another friend who's like, eh, I like writing, but I could have I could have been a programmer. It's fine. So I feel like I feel like every writer has a different attitude towards writing and a different story about how they got to be a writer. And there's no mm. right or wrong way to get there. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a story that's like burning a hole in you? I mean, I feel 
like every story feels sometimes like it is. And, and, and every story has days when you're like, oh my God, this story. <laughs> you place of like, oh, why? Yeah. But no book, however good your idea is, however much you love it, is going to like light you on fire every single day. Mm. There's, there's always a time when you're like, wow, I, I don't know. I'm kind of tired of it. Oh, and it's just part of the process of writing. Mm. So I saw a really good quote that I thought was very true, which is how you feel about your writing has nothing to do with how good it is or how well it's going. Like I'll have mm. days where I was like, wow, I just killed it. What a good day. Like the book's flying and I'll reread and be like, that was terrible. I have to dump all of this text. And I'll have days mm. where I'm like, where I'm like, oh my God, nothing's working. Why, what, what's even happening? And then I'll read it the next day and be like, that was really good. Go me. So, <laughs> so how you feel has nothing to do with your process. It's weird, but it's true mm. in my opinion. Mm. I feel That's like good that. advice for, for the kids. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, can you tell us about some of your favorite books when you were a kid? I can. My favorite books when I was a kid. My favorite authors were Robin McKinley, who is, um, I feel like you don't see her as much anymore, but she had a lot of books out mm. um, in the 80s and 90s. And she was the first writer I ever read who I ever read who wrote fantasy novels where girls were the main characters. Um, I had read plenty of like sort of boy driven fantasy, but back then there just wasn't very much girl driven fantasy. And she was the first yeah. person who she retold fairy tales, which I loved. And she wrote stories about girls with armor and swords and horses, um, sort of the pre Tamora Pierce, another favorite writer of mine um, when I was a kid. And I was also really into Redwall. Um, Brian Jack's books and um, honestly Goosebumps mm. and um, uh, Mary Downing Hahn, um, her her ghost stories. I love them. So those were kind of my 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 go tos when I was 10, 11, 12. Um, how do you determine what the correct level of like spookiness in a story for kids should be? Um, I mean, what is the correct level of spookiness? It's very it's very it's very abstract because one kid's correct level is somebody else's nightmares for the rest of their life, right? Is the problem. So, so there is no individually determining what like the correct level of spookiness is for any given child. When parents ask me, is this book okay for my children? Is it too scary? I'm like, please, if you have any doubts, read the book first, like yeah. read the book yourself and decide for yourself because all you know, kids are so different. You know, some kids have watched like super scary movies and they love scary movies and nothing scares them. And other kids, you know, they, you know, they hear one campfire story and they're like just nightmares for months, you know? So it's, it's so variable. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I personally like to err on the side of scarier, um, because I, (laughs) I grew up with like scary stories to tell in the dark and those horrifying illustrations. And, um, I read Stephen King when I was a kid because there wasn't very much horror, you know, for, for my age group. You kind of had to like read Goosebumps and go to adult books when I was, when I was 12. Um, and I loved being scared. So I definitely write, I think, for the kid who likes being scared. Um, that being said, it, there's, there's definitely things in, in, a horror, in a horror novel for, for kids that you, that you can't do where you could do them in a book for adults, you know, there's, 
you know, keep, keep the chopped heads to a minimum, you know, that's not, <laughs> not right. You know, <laughs> so, that's a good rule for life. I feel like yeah, right? <laughs> full, of, full of good rules. Um, so there's limitations on just like what's overall appropriate, but I, I think the challenge is how to make it as spooky as possible without it being gory or violent or things that like don't really work, um, for the genre yeah. or for age groups. But, um, mm. I, I, I love being spooked and I, I think a lot of my readers do as well. Um, and for, for parents and for educators who have doubts, I say, you know, ask somebody who knows your kid or read it yourself. As, as kid. Yeah. Do you, do you think you'll always write like spooky, scary stories or do you, do you see yourself like writing something that's, you know, not like that? I have fun writing scary stories. I have ideas for fantasy um, for the age group as well. I'd love to write some fantasy um, for middle readers. Um, and I, I have, of course, I have books for adults too. So coming out, so I kind of work into two parallel tracks. And my books for adults aren't—they're more more fantasy um, or historical fantasy. They're not um, necessarily horror at all. So, but I love—I love the horror novel. I love being scary. I love thinking of new ways to scare people um, <laughs> um, and new like scenarios that are scary. So it, it is a fun—it is a fun thing to do. And I probably won't stop anytime soon. Do you have to walk out in the woods in the middle of the night sometimes and just imagine? scary things happening to give yourself some ideas no i can just sit around my house i mean for example <laughs> for example my my husband has this this little troll that um his grandma brought from from norway and it's the scariest little troll um one of our friends named an apple and apple has these little glittering eyes and apple is so scary that when when my husband was a kid at his grandma's house his, his grandma would tell him, you got to be good or Apple will come for you at night. <laughs> okay. And so he would take Apple every evening and tie Apple up in the curtain cord. So Apple could not creep into his bedroom and get him. So smart. And the thing is, you look at this troll and you believe it. Cause, cause Apple is very scary. <laughs> um, so I remember writing my second um, horror novel for kids called dead voices. Now it was two in the morning. I was on a deadline. I look up and Apple is staring straight at me. It's little glittering eyeballs. And I'm like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. Um, so yeah. uh, that's so good. And yeah. so uh, has your, or does your husband have a big aversion to apples because of this? No, apple in general? No, apple sits by our wood stove. Apple just only at night is apple scary. I also live in Vermont, which has a long history of settlement and farming. And so what you'll have is like, you'll just walk through the woods and find cemeteries, like little, like hmm. little, like three or four grave, like just spots in the woods where someone had a farm like a hundred years ago. And the farm had like a little farm cemetery and the farm's gone, but the graves are still there. Hmm. Um, and you'll just hmm. be like, wow, there's this old grave just in the woods. So, so the state has plenty of um, chances for creepiness as well. Um Go ahead, Graham. Well, I was going to say, speaking of scary things, uh, Amy asked a question. Uh, she says, the Winter Night featured many memorable creatures based in Russian folklore. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite creature? Ooh, very specific. So one reason I, I wrote The Bear and the Nightingale, which is the first book in my um, Winter Night trilogy for adults, is um, because I loved how in Slavic folklore, there's little guardian spirits for every part of your house. So you have like a guardian of the actual house. It's called the Domovoy. And then you have one for your bathhouse, the Bonik. And you had one for the threshing house. 
and one for the cow shed and one for the stable. Like there's one for lit- one for the dooryard, one, one for literally every part of your homestead. I thought it was cool. Probably, probably the Bonnick who lives in the bathhouse because it's like a sauna or um, a, a Russian bathhouse. But I, he, he's cool because A, can tell your future. Um, B, if you make him mad, he'll throw hot water on you um, and hit you with birch branches. And um, you're supposed to like, once you finish your bath, like leave him like hot water and soap so he can have his bath after you. Otherwise he'll get mad and burn your bathhouse down. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty... <laughs> That's a pretty good creature. I, I like him. He's like small and like happy and, you know. So why Russian folklore and folktales? Is there a family connection or something like that? I lived in Moscow for two years. Sorry, oh. to, actually, it's a, a, a strange time um, to have friends in Moscow and uh, yeah. a, a bit of a difficult conversation to actually have. But I have a lot of friends in Moscow and I lived there for two years as a student mm. uh, when I was younger. I have some very good friends that are grew up in Moscow beautiful city yeah okay this leads right into the next question um uh which says uh you've lived in a lot of places where was your favorite if you can even answer that i have lived in a lot of places um and i liked a lot of them um i live i spent a year teaching at a boarding school in the french alps true story Um, wow and that was my favorite place Um, that sounds amazing closely followed by the north shore of maui Another favorite place where I was working on that farm. So when you lived in the, you said the the Alps. Yep. So what was the closest big city that people would kids would know about? Uh, like where would you if they wanted to figure out where you were geographically? So the closest um, is Grenoble. Um, okay. Which kids may or may not know off the top of their heads. The biggest, somewhat close, was Lyon. Okay. Um. That sounds amazing. That's like one of my dream places to go to. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, so how far from Vienna was that? From Vienna? I have no idea. Pretty far, probably. Um, it wasn't that far from... We were right on the Italian border. Like, if you went up the mountain, you would get, like... Your phone would switch to, like, Italian cell carriers. Um, only, like... Okay. Minutes, really. So right in okay. the border. Um, and Milan was pretty close. Okay. Like, Geneva, even, was not that far. Yeah. Um, that's That's, like... If I could go anywhere in the world, that's probably like one of the, <laughs> the places. Want, like travel recommendations for the French Alps. I know so many good hikes. Um, Amazing. All right. Well, definitely gonna definitely gonna have to uh, shoot you an email for some advice. <laughs> it's so beautiful, David. Just be honest. You you the only reason you want to go there is to hike Mont Blanc and get that pen that's at the top. Yeah the 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 fancy pen at the top of the mm-hmm. the Mont Blanc mountain. Yeah. You, I mean, do you do you mountaineer? Because Mont Blanc has like crevasses and need crampons. Like it's a it's a mission. No, but, that would not work out for me. But it's a very special <laughs> pen at the top. Um, yeah, no, Mont Blanc is like I think it's two days, and you got to sit sleep in a hut overnight, and you've got to like because there's there's a as a, a gondola a lift that takes you up to, up this other mountain next door to Mont Blanc called the Aiguille de Midi, and it's got like a little like a little restaurant up there. Um, and like an observation deck and it's very cool, but you can, from there, you can watch people just like risking their lives, climbing Mont Blanc, like 20 mm. feet away from you. So you're just like up there in your sweatshirt, like chilling. There's this, this guy, like, like defying death and it's like side of a mountain <laughs> right next to you. And it's just like, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird place to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm fine with like yeah, sitting in the so, restaurant, but I'm not, I'm not yeah, yeah, the restaurant's the way. Like the restaurant's great. Just do that. 
you know. Okay, all right. The, the, <laughs> good. The pictures, but no risking of your life. See, this is this is why we're talking to her. We need good advice totally about like, right. when you're in the French <laughs> Alps. Don't just find that. <laughs> so uh, we got a question here uh, from Chelsea. Okay. She says, are any of your characters, such as Ollie, Coco, and Brian, based on real people? Oh, good question. Um, so let's see. So my best friend in college was an Adler. And Ollie's name is Olivia Adler. And I imagined what he's always wanted a daughter. So I was like, what would your daughter be like? And of course, he and his wife are about to have a kid. So I'm super excited for it to be a girl. Um, <laughs> um, although with my luck, it probably won't be. Um, but yeah, it was kind of an because my friend is, is like Ollie's dad. Like he likes to knit and paint and do crafts. And he's just super, super cool. And we've been friends for a long time. Um, so that was Ollie. And then Ollie's dad's a real character, my friends. Um, and then Coco is, looks like a friend I had my, when I was living, um, living in France after college, um, who, whose hair, I don't know how this happened, but it was, it was the perfect, like blonde red, that it looked pink. Um, she would get stopped in the street and people would be like, how did you get your hair that color? And she's like, it just grew that color. And it's, it was, I think she was a fairy. Um, and so <laughs> I made Coco kind of like her, like her personality and like her way she looks. So I just made Brian up. I love Brian. So yeah. Graham, should we read this really nice thing that somebody said about her that we put in this document that we're using? Or should we just not read her a compliment? What do you think? I think we should probably write it. I didn't put it the attribution on it. So I'm doing that now. Uh, so, uh, but this is from Hannah. So go ahead, David. Okay. Well, Hannah said... She said, I am in awe with a bunch of exclamation points. Catherine was one of my all-time favorite authors. Uh, I actually just finished Small Spaces earlier this week and can't wait to give it to my almost eight-year-old because I know she'll love it. Not a kid myself, but I have a question. How did the experience of publishing The Bear and the Nightingale affect how you started the Small Spaces series? Publishing uh, well-received young adult fantasy seems more difficult as an outsider, she says, than YA fantasy. But is this true to your experience? I mean, let me try to try to parse. So I had an advantage in sort of writing and selling a middle grade series because I had already successfully published a series for like sort of older YA adults. Um, and so I had a bit of like, I was a bit established by then. And mm-hmm. with Small Spaces, I started very much like on a lark, I had some time waiting for edits for my editor to get back to me on my second book for adults, which is called The Girl in the Tower. And I, I had some free time and I had an idea for a scary book. And I kind of started riffing on my idea. And the idea had legs and um, I ended up drafting small spaces um, quite quickly. Um, it was a sort of a short, um, a short draft of that book, which um, came together, you know, in a couple of weeks. And I sent it to my agent who was like, okay. And, um, shopped it around and sort of found a, found a publisher, um, willing to help me kind of link in the first book and, um, finish it. So it was a bit serendipitous. Um, very much. I, I wrote it with very few expectations. Um, I think it is important to write books with a sense of like play, um, and a sense of like, this might or might not work. It's fine. Um, and it ended up working. Um, pretty well and suddenly I was doing middle grade as well as adult books and it just it worked out and I um I, I really appreciate doing both I think they both require different um sort of skill sets as a writer and I think they both they both have different challenges and different like parts that are fun so yeah 
do you have, like for the kids you you've mentioned a few things so far but for the kids who want to be writers we have a lot of kids who listen who yeah. want to be writers do you what advice would you give them i mean you said a couple of things but like what's the most important thing you think say a kid's 10 or 11 or something like that and wants to be a writer yeah okay so this is a good question the most important thing in my opinion to becoming a writer is you have to finish what you start because here's why because starting a story is pretty easy you have a cool idea, you get going, it's fun, you have all these notions for characters, but somewhere in there, it gets harder. It gets harder because finishing a book or finishing a story is much, much harder than starting one because it's, I say it's like juggling. Almost anybody can throw six oranges into the air, right? You just throw them up, but the trick is catching all six. It's hard. And you learn to catch all six with practice, right? You practice juggling. And the same with writing. You have to practice bringing your story together to a conclusion, especially since almost every story goes through a a phase, a portion where you're kind of tired of it. You're kind of bored of it. You think it's not good. Um, You're frustrated. You don't know what's going on. Like there's always that moment when you're like, "Uh, I want to start something else. It's important to keep going. You have to finish what you start and you learn so much by finishing what you start. So that's my advice. It's like, even if your ending is like, kind of unsatisfying to you just finish it and move on you know but it it helps and you learn from finishing so that's advice a and advice b is example so a small space is my first book for kids i drafted in about three weeks and i sent it off to my editor but the editing the the lengthening and the fixing of it took eight months and so editing is more important than drafting and books become good not in the first draft but in the editing so you can't just write a thing and then go back and hunt for comma issues and be done. Like you mm. have to write and rewrite. Mm. That's when stories become good. Um, and so I guess my other piece of advice is don't ignore the rewriting. Okay. I got a follow-up question as someone yeah. who pretends he's a writer. Do you, how do you know when you're ready? Like, how do you know when it's done? Um, I wish I had a more specific answer, but I, I feel it in my stomach. Mm. It's the same answer, but I feel like there's like a zing. There's a zing. It's like a little jolt of energy um, as the story moves from scene to scene. Um, and when that energy is present, it usually comes quite late for me in the in the writing process. And when I can feel like the the, the current, the pull the book has from moment to moment, then it's done. Mm. That's um, interesting. Yeah. So, but you have to differentiate your gut feelings from the zing of the, the book being done and the zap you get from the Fritos. Different right. zaps. Very, very different zaps. Okay. Um, the, the Fritos <laughs> zap gets worse when you, uh, when you put the Fritos in the, in the Dr. Pepper. Mm. The, yeah, <laughs> the worst zap actually. Yeah. See, that's what, that's full circle. I like that. I see what you did. Yeah, there. It become like a, it's, yeah, we came back. It's like the snake eating its tail. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Where are we on this conversation? Yeah, <laughs> right. We got back to the Doritos. We'll never leave. It's like a labyrinth. <laughs> uh, Catherine. Right. Well, yeah, this podcast has been described as a labyrinth before. Um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. We, we are, always back to Doritos, the minotaur of the labyrinth. No, yeah, kidding. exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> Catherine, we have a very special uh, portion of this podcast where okay. we have tailored a quiz a very mm-hmm. high pressure, scary quiz. I'm really scary. Um, I've not heard this quiz yet. You, a lot of times I'm the one crafting the quiz. David has taken the mantle this week uh, and has made a quiz for you. So, David, what is this quiz titled? Okay, this quiz 
I, I didn't get, I didn't, was I supposed to give it a title? Uh, right. It's called the Catherine Arden Withy Window Quiz. <laughs> Perfect. But it's themed in the, it's themed in this sense. Your last name is Arden. Mm, pen name. There is a famous, say again? Pen name. Fun fact. Are you, are you, are we talking about you? Can you say what your real name is on here? Or is that just like a secret? Okay. Well, your pen name's last name <laughs> is, is Arden. Arden is also famously mm-hmm. a forest in Shakespeare, which got me thinking about forest stuff, okay. also known as forestry. Okay. So, okay. so I have some questions related to forests for you. This is very nice. Okay. Okay, here we go. First question. Forests are home to over 80% of land animals and plants. That got me wondering... What is home to the other 20% of land animals and plants? Here are your options. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. A, the other 20% of land animals and plants live in Gandalf's beard, Zeus's shoe, libraries, or prairies, fields, and other things like that. Um, can, we, can we explore the ramifications of Gandalf's beard? Because I really think that, that, that we, should, we should go with that answer and see where it leads us. It's like a yes and. Um, the uh you're so you're saying Gandalf's beard? Yes. Um the uh I wanna know more. <laughs> let's like, let let's let's explore that. <laughs> I mean I mean oh we froze again. Cool. Um I mean there was there was the guy in the Hobbit movies, the other wizard who just had a whole like a whole menagerie in his beard. So surely Gandalf has a few creatures in his beard as well. Yeah, that's true. Radagast the brown. Yeah, yeah. He just like had, he had all, what even was happening? There were bunnies in there. <laughs> well, um, I, I think that's a really good answer. And I think, Remember, I, I, I think we should count it as correct. I don't know what you think, David. I think it's great. Remember in that movie when they airdropped bears? That was the <laughs> best moment of that whole series of movies. The eagles airdropped the bears. That that's I think that is just a fact that that is the best part. Uh, we're going to say that's correct. Okay, question two. Are you ready? <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay, which of the following is the biggest forest in the world? The Amazon rainforest, the forest at the beginning of Dante's Inferno, the Congo rainforest, or the forest in Gandalf's beard? <laughs> well, if it's in the world, I feel like the forest in Dante's Inferno is not in. See, she's using her brain. She's using her brain right now. This is this is logic. Also, it's not a very big forest because because what's his name? The narrator he crosses it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of climbs and meets the 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 tigers, whatever. Um, I think we should go with the Amazon. He's got to respect the Amazon at all times. It's a very important forest, lungs of the planet, and can't joke about the Amazon. It's true. I wasn't joking about the Amazon. It is it is literally the answer to the question. Five point five million square kilometers. The next is the Congo rainforest. It's 2.5 million square kilometers smaller. Okay. Are you ready Maybe for question that, three? David, I like that you went metric on that. I just, I just copied and pasted, man. Very helpful. <laughs> uh, um, it's important to learn metric system as well. It's true. We're getting so much good advice on this episode, Graham. No, it would be helpful. Okay. Question three. Which famous literary character lives in the chestnuts? A, Badger in The Wind of the Willows. B, Owl in Winnie the Pooh. C, Mr. Tumnus in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Or D, 
the Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother. Holy smokes. I literally don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Mr. Dumbness and it's not Red Riding Hood. Um, that leaves Badger and the Wind in the Willows or Owl and Winnie the Pooh. I haven't read either of those since I was like four or five or six. I'm going to go with Winnie the Pooh. No, there's no owl. Yes, there is. Oh my gosh. You said so it was Badger in the Wind in the Willows or Owl in Winnie the Pooh. I'm going to go with, owl, with Badger and Wind in the Willows. That was a stressful question and you promised no stress in this quiz. So I am going to file a complaint. Um, uh, you can file a complaint with Graham. And no, this is the one time you shouldn't file a complaint with me. All other times, I understand it, but not this time. Okay. Um, it, it actually, um, it actually is yeah, the owl and Winnie the Pooh um, in the Hundred Acre Woods. All right. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, that's the that's the only question that was actually like kind of real. I didn't know that. That's that's a great question. Um, uh, okay, I, that was the one I felt like once I saw it, I had to include it. This being a podcast for kids about kids books. Okay. Question number four. Okay. Robert Frost famously once said that the forests are lovely, dark, and what? Here are your four options. The forests are lovely, dark, and deep. That's A. B. The forests are lovely, dark, and smelling like jelly beans. C. The forests are lovely, dark, and a great place for quality time with a friend. Or D. The forests are lovely, dark, and the perfect place to hang up a hammock for some reading time. They're deep. And I will even finish your quotation. They have miles to go before I sleep. That's correct. Fun fact. In, in my old house, my old house, a different part of Vermont, Robert Frost lived just up the road for many, many years. And um, he used to spend nights at this house where I lived um, when he and his, his friend would hang out late. That is an amazing story. Yep. I wish I could say that I knew that, and that's why I included a Robert Frost question. There you go. Robert Frost is from Vermont. He's a great poet. Most of his poems are about Vermont. And um, I have slept in the same room as Robert Frost slept once upon a time. That's a great claim to fame. Okay. Right. Next question. True or false? Any story worth anything has a scary forest in it. Defend your answer. Ooh. Any forest worth anything has it. That is, that is not true because, all right, that is not true because how you determine what a story is worth is a very, 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 very subjective question. Um, who is to say what a story is worth and why? We don't know. Anyone could say a story could be worth a lot to me and worthless to you. Um, I'm sure if we threw enough stories out there, we might come to one where that would actually happen. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I feel like it's really important to um to not say it as like an objective way to judge whether a book's worth something, because there isn't books are subjective things. Uh, correct. <laughs> okay, we'll it. call that a correct. Right or wrong. <laughs> okay. Last last question. We all know that trees have different personalities. Okay. You have. Oak trees, the mighty oak trees. You've got the the you've got birch trees and beech trees and other trees, maple trees. We all, which is something you probably know well, living in Vermont, maple trees. Okay, so which tree would you least like to be roommates with? Ooh, okay, all right. <laughs> in general, like like right out there. Um, yeah, I mean, you get to decide the parameters of this question. Sure, a mulberry tree. <laughs> 
I love this. Why? Why? Because mulberry trees drop massive amounts of some horrifying fruit once a year, and every insect and every bird within a thousand miles comes and just like swarms it. This is the only answer. It's the only like I had. I wasn't even sure what the answer was going to be, but now that you say it, it's it's absolutely the only answer. There you go. Yeah, and like rotten mulberries on the ground. It's horrible. There's so many. They produce so much. And like mulberries aren't that delicious either. Like they're for birds, not for people. So it's like, at least if you're a peach tree, like you can also eat the delicious peaches. So. So true. So true. So what would you most want to be roommates with? (laughs) We're just going to keep going. I mean, maple trees, like they produce maple syrup, super delicious. But honestly, probably a mango tree. Because they're really big and super beautiful and also produce delicious mangoes. Just a strong case. I, yeah. I, I agree. So that you have officially gone, I was going to say six for six, but technically five for six because you did get that wind of, that wind of the wheel. Wrong. Was question I, wrong. It, was, it was utter failure. No, this is a, that is a passing grade. Oh, good. They, uh, yeah, it's passing grade. We've never really done a question that had an answer like that. <laughs> I just, I just had to include it. No, yeah, exactly. That's not true, David. Um, <laughs> we, we, have, we have done questions. I don't know. When you do the quiz, I don't pay attention. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that's the end of, of this week's quiz. You have officially passed the Arden with the Windle quiz. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. I will expect my prize in the mail. Uh, you'll yes. As soon as you send us your your address, we will. My trophy, my little trophy. We'll, yep. We'll <laughs> exactly. We'll send it via pigeon. So yeah, gets there when it gets there. The best way to send things. Could a pigeon carry the the official trophy? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty small trophy. Yeah. Okay. Very small. We have the budget. budget. They carry yeah. little tiny notes like you attach to their leg. Maybe like a, a just like a little a little trophy. A certificate. Yeah, a certificate. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> A passing grade, so Exactly. Decent job. Okay, so um, that brings us to our word of the week. Graham, are you ready for the word of the week? Uh, yeah, of course I am. <laughs> I don't know. Catherine, sorry, are you ready was, for the word of the week? I was trying to muster up the strength because I know what, what I have to go do. I'm always ready. Okay, do you have something to write with and something to write on? Do I? Yes. Yes, always. Okay, perfect. Because you will need that unless you're really good at memorizing. Because this week's word of the week is going to be given to us by, as it always is, the bookstore troll. Catherine, we we had a printer that, that Graham really wasn't great at making work. So then between season two and three, I I, I curated uh, the official Withy Window Word of the Week dictionary. However, our bookstore troll is kind of a jerk and he took it. And he has it in his lair in the basement of my bookstore. So Graham every week has to go down to the bookstore troll and he has to figure out what the bookstore troll is going to want from him this week in order to give us the word. I feel like he and Apple would be friends. The bookstore yeah, I, I, you know, we really have, we, we, we should give him a name like that, mm-hmm. that he, that kind of like Apple, something that he would Apple. feel, he, he would feel good about. Apple was named by my friend's two-year-old who was very precocious. So find you a small, small child and just be like, hey, small child, give me a name of a troll. And the child be like, confetti. And that'll be your name. I'll ask my three-year-old daughter, see what she says. (laughs) Okay, Graham, you go down there, figure this thing out, figure out what this troll is going to want, take care of it, report back to us and bring us the word. All right, I'll be back soon. All right. Good luck, Graham. Be safe. 
Okay, I'm back. Um, You're alive still. (laughs) I don't know if the walls of your bookstore are just very thin or what's going on, but he specifically requested a small figurine of a troll with glittery eyes. Um, So I think I've got to... He wants Apple back. I think I've got to go up to Vermont. If Catherine lets me take it, maybe just borrow it for a while so we can get this word. No. Could we, could we make, do you think you would fool it if we had like a fake of Apple? Can't fake Apple. Oh, yeah. Apple, Apple's one of a kind. Apple, <laughs> Apple, Apple's only one Apple. We can go to Norway and find new Apple. All right. Okay. I'm you're going to have to go to, to Norway. I'm going to Norway. Everybody I'll just hold Norway. tight for right, a couple Graham. weeks. I'll be back. Hey, all right. Catherine, we may want to get some food. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna be a while. Yeah. Like, like you know, in Norway, like where's where am I? Where's the troll? <laughs> he's, he's like about a mountain somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where's And then because do trolls live on top of mountains or under mountains? They live in caves. Feeling strong cave vibes for trolls. All right, so Graham, when Graham gets back, he's gonna be like, he's gonna have a long beard, raving caves. He's gonna he's have gonna Gandalf's have, beard. He's gonna have all the wildlife in his beard. Yeah. 20% we should I should have asked you that question after Graham got back there you go what does Graham have in his beard (laughs) well I get when he gets back we definitely need to find that out all right let's take a little break we'll let Graham come back and we're gonna get some food and when we come back we're gonna find out what the uh whether he was able to get this troll (sighs) okay I I I got one Get a beard. It's been so long. What's in your beard? Is that a bunny? <laughs> Is that a mango? All right. It was an adventure. I um I, I didn't feel like flying, so I took uh, just a little boat over. I know that added a lot of time. I'm sorry. It, does, it, it explains a lot. Strong, um, but, strong but time. In Norway, I did find um I did find a, a little troll with glittery eyes. Um so I'll I'll go down and give it to the troll, see if he can give us that word. Okay. All right. I really, I really hope the troll accepts it because that was quite the journey. That was, that was a long. I ate so many Fritos, like ridiculous. <laughs> I drank a whole twelve pack. I call this chick all this Dr Pepper. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do now. All right. I think I, I'm. I can't say it definitively. I gave him the troll. He gave me the word, and I think I got a little smile. Oh. Out of the tr- I'm troll oh. smile. Just troll has a new best. I have two trolls. Two base. That's a lot of trolls. Two basement trolls. I know. I'm like I'm a little bit nervous about the future. Of what else is going to get stolen? Wait, the troll. Our bookstore troll doesn't have like powers, does he? To like bring this other little troll figurine I gave him to life. Uh, yeah, probably. Oh no, I have like two living trolls and a whole. Well, family. Why else do you think he asked for a troll? So that's what the smile was about. Yep. <laughs> it oh, was no. devious smile. Oh, <laughs> oh well, well we got a word. I mean, that's something. So here you go. Okay, I'm just going to unfold this piece of paper here. All right. So he has chosen a very interesting word t- just to say. Okay, here it is. Are you ready to write this down? Yes. The word of the week as determined by our troll is sialoquent. Sialoquent. Okay, I'm going to spell it for you. S-I-A-L-O-Q-U-E-N-T. Sialoquent. Whoa. You have a minute to write down what you think this word means, and we'll come back, and we'll see who is, uh, who's closest. All right. 
I'm going to pace for a minute. Ready, Graham? No, but let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Graham, Graham will go first. Then I will, then I will share my definition. And then we always let our special guest go third. So Graham, you go first. What do you think see eloquent means? Well, we, okay. So everybody knows what eloquent is. It is, it is the ability for good word saying to be done good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sigh eloquent. I believe you just put irony out in the world there. <laughs> Give evidence of the notion of irony. So, sigh eloquent is when you are able to speak very eloquently about scientific things which are wrong. So, so you, so, so you're not, Brilliant. you don't have your facts straight, right but, but you sound very good while you're saying them. Sigh eloquent. Okay. Honestly, that's probably true. Okay. Well, I think that sigh eloquent is, it's the word for a troll who speaks pretty well because he has learned to speak by reading a lot of poetry. Ooh, I like it. Well, I mean, the eloquent or like loquacious, another good word that uses the same root, I think is Latin, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, And I think it means that um, it's an adjective. And I think it means talking super well about bears about bears yes that's a good one okay let's find out we all have we were all kind of in the same general category (laughs) uh uh, (laughs) sialoquent actually is the word for speaking while spitting speaking while spitting there's a word for that so you know when you're talking and like you just start spitting Speaking sialoquently, which means with lots of spit. That is a good and useful word. I know. Yeah. I, I, I've never done that ever. I've never been talking to someone in public, say in my bookstore, and accidentally... Is that a lie? Caused. That might be a lie. Uh, it, okay, it's a lie. So the, <laughs> uh, yeah, but the bookstore troll is extremely sialoquent. Oh, yeah. Bookstore troll is like, it's like rain, really. Yeah, you have to wear like a whole suit, umbrella. Carry umbrella. All right. So, Catherine, we end every episode the same way by asking the authors that come on to challenge another author friend who you think should have to endure the slings and arrows of this particular Withy Windle podcast. Do you have anybody in mind who you want to punish in this way? Um, Delilah Dawson who wrote another horror novel called Mine for Kids, which I super love. You need more authors of scary books on your show, clearly. And she is very fun to talk to. Also written books from, for um, YA as well. All right. So Delilah Dawson, consider yourself challenged. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time. Anytime, my pleasure. For, for coming on here, talking with us, answering these kids' questions. This was awesome. It was great. Thank you guys for having me. Um, All right. Thanks to David, even though he's gone. No. Thanks so much to Catherine Arden for coming on the podcast and chatting with us about her favorite books and telling us a little bit about how she uh, goes about writing her stories. And be sure to check out Small Spaces and uh, you know check with your parents, but possibly also read the Winter Night Trilogy if they say that that's cool. All right, Graham, it's time for... Wait, what are we doing now? Oh yeah, riddle time. Riddle time. Last week, you shared a riddle, Graham. Could you do a quick summary and then tell us the answer to last week's riddle? 
Yes. Um, last time, the strangely named girl Cuthberta um, <laughs> came into a a lot of bananas, and she ate a lot of bananas. Then she decided, with the twelve remaining, she would go to the zoo and hand them out to the monkeys there, which there were also twelve of. It's very convenient. So she does that. Each monkey gets a banana. But at the end of handing out the bananas, there's still a banana left in the basket. And we asked, how could that be? Now, we asked, how can that be? And a lot of listeners emailed me asking that exact same question. How can that be? (laughs) So I know this one was tricky. Um, I like that people wrote back to you to say, I don't know. Tell us the answer as if we're not going to tell them the answer on the podcast in a few days. <laughs> There's a lot of people that had a lot of interesting suggestions or options mm-hmm. uh, that were not correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we knew this one would be hard. Uh, but the solution is very simple that she handed to the last monkey the basket with the banana in it. So all the mm. monkeys had a banana, including that last one, but it was still in the basket. Now, mm. somebody um, did say, well, maybe the monkey crawled in the basket with the banana. Also true. We will we'll accept that answer. But <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, I'm, I, that's, I a, that's, a, that's a good one. This was a tricky one. That was a good answer. Graham, mm-hmm. you're, you're like, were you trying to trick the kids? Um. I was I was not 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 trying to trick them. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Did your kids bug you until you told them the answer? Um my kids bugged me a lot, but then I they did not want to know. Ah. So okay. I, I did not tell them. Hmm. Did you think they put their fingers in their ears while listening to you tell the answer just now, or did they wanted to wait for the podcast? <laughs> no, they're off running around outside. They're they're not here. Okay. All right. Okay, well, Graham, that brings us to this week's riddle. Are you ready mm-hmm. to hear it? Because it's my turn to share a riddle. Is it monkey and banana related? No. Okay, good. No, it's not. Okay. I want you to imagine a farm. Okay? Are you imagining? Yes. It's a, it's a farm with a red barn and a blue silo amidst some rolling hills. There's a few cops of trees nearby. Not cops like police officers. Copses. Copses of trees. Maybe that's the plural. I don't know. And there are lots of barnyard animals, right? There are a couple of pigs, a couple of cows. They have a couple of horses as well. There's a cat, several chickens, and of course, there is a rooster. And no monkey. Not that I know of, but, you know, I'll have to go visit and ask uh, to find out for sure. But as far as I know, there's no monkey. Any of these animals uh, have a pocket watch by any chance? This, uh, again, not that I know of. I don't believe that these animals know how to tell time. But there is one animal that that occasionally seems like it knows how to tell time. That is the rooster. That is the rooster. This rooster, he likes to, you know, as roosters do, he climbs to the top of the barn when he's not running around the barnyard harassing all the other people and animals that, that dwell on this barn, in this farm. And he climbs to the top of the barn as he likes to do. And he thinks to himself one morning, 
because you know roosters they'll get up on top of the barn and before it's time to to crow and wake everybody up they do some contemplating it's really a rooster's best time to think so it's up there on top of the barn and it's thinking and it's thinking if i were to lay an egg up here on this barn what would happen which way would the egg roll because of course he's at the the top of the barn right yeah, is that like the peak where the where and he the knows he, he he's getting he's getting confused by this thought because he doesn't know if it's going to roll off to the left or the right or perhaps some miracle might cause it to linger there at the very peak of the barn and then of course he realizes oh well the sun's coming up I need to go about my 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 day and do the job that I'm here for and so he he crows as the rooster does. But that's the question, isn't it? If this rooster laid an egg, which way would it roll? Graham, that's, that's this week's riddle. If this rooster, we'll call him Ted, Ted the rooster, if he were to lay an egg, which way would it roll? Good question. If kids think they know the answer, what should they do? They should email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. And if you think you know the answer to this, and you send it in, and it turns out that you do know the answer to this, then you will be entered into the drawing that we are going to do at the end of the season from all of the right answers for a bundle of books. And since you're listening to this podcast, you probably like books. So winning a bundle of books seems like it would be a positive thing for you. So again, send us what you think the answer is to podcast at goldberrybooks.com. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Withy Windle. We will be back next Friday. We promise we will not let the troll... We'll be on time. Yeah, we we will be on time. The troll will not take away um, our our equipment. We have have super glued the microphones down to the desks. They're in place. (laughs) Plus, he already has the ones kept, so... Yeah, he's he's already... He's good. Thanks also to SD Smith for sponsoring the podcast. We're grateful for their partnership and their friendship this season here on Withy Wendell. For Grant Pittman, I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.